verse 45. We'll pick up in verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath Paneah, and he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. Then he gathered up all the food of those seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to do to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. This is the word of God. Timing is everything. This is true in the world of business. Consider the story you may have heard of the Ring Video Doorbell. This is a product you may be familiar with. It's a doorbell you can get on, you can put on your house and you connect it to an app and you can actually see via video who is at your front door. Most people don't know this product appeared on the show Shark Tank, which I love. Shark Tank's one of my weekly watches, and it appeared on Shark Tank in 2013 as a product called the Doorbot. And the sharks at the time didn't invest and called it one of the worst products ever. Later, though, the company got attention and investment, and in early 2018, Amazon bought Ring for, hear this, $839 million. Timing is everything. This is even true in the world of sports. I'm, like, I'm joining with likely many pastors across the country using these guys in a sermon illustration this morning. Who day? That's right. Timing is everything. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's okay. Uh, others of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you're locked in, and that's all right, too. But needless to say, the Bengals finally getting into the Super Bowl and having a chance at Super Bowl victory, timing is everything. I was even chatting with a friend this week how true this is of churches how there's just God's timing can meet up with certain people and can be met with, with particular leadership at a particular time, and it's an equation for God-sized impact. And friends, as we return to the life of Joseph, we see that timing truly is everything. 
He was 17 years old when this whole journey began. He was favored by his father, betrayed by his brothers, but he never left the care of God. He's adventured through slavery. He's been in service to Potiphar's wife, and he's now in prison, framed by his former boss's wife for crimes he didn't commit. Last week, he met two Egyptian officials who were high-ranking, who were put under his care in the prison, and he interpreted their dreams. And through all of this, the baker was hung, and the cupbearer was cleared of all his charges and restored to his position. And Joseph hoped and thought, maybe the cupbearer can mention my situation to Pharaoh, and I can have freedom. But look how chapter 40 Ended. Such a sad refrain. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And we see that now, coming into chapter 41, two whole years have passed in this prison. Joseph is now 30 years old. And though Joseph hoped for things to happen sooner, God had other plans. And we'll see that God's timing is perfect because God's timing is never without a purpose. Over these 57 verses, God is going to turn Joseph's life around. He's going to go from prisoner to governor. He's going to go from the pit to a place of primacy. But why wait? That's probably the question many of us have. Why make Joseph wait two years and take him through a total of 13? years of suffering to get him to this moment. What was God's purpose? Here's your main point that I hope we'll see this morning. We see through all of this that God's timing displays God's character. The friends, the whole reason God has a particular time for Joseph to do this was because God wants to, wanted to teach him and teach us by extension about who he is. That God's timing, when he does something, is meant to teach us about his character, who he is. And this chapter offers us at least three attributes of God that are on display through Joseph's life and through his waiting. We see first that in the midst of Joseph's waiting, that God displayed his greatness over Egypt. It's the first thing we see that through all of this, God was displaying his greatness over Egypt. Let's look at the dream again that opens up this chapter. Verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. Now let's look at the second dream in verse 5. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the seven thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. That's a strange night, isn't it? Friends, I hope none of us, th- this, is one of those, this is one of those after Taco Bell type dreams that you have, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I should not have eaten that. 
And yet Pharaoh here, this this actually makes a lot more sense to Pharaoh, I think, than it would to us. Because first, he's standing by the Nile. The Nile was the glory of Egypt, the source of its flourishing. Many of us think of Egypt and think of desert, and yes, Egypt is desert, but right along the Nile is, is, is very fruitful, very green, very full of resources. And actually, it was the source of much of their reverence and worship. Second, a Pharaoh sees cows. And now, this may not seem like a big deal to us. We've got a cow pasture behind our house, but cows were a symbol of pride for the Egyptians. It, it was much like their bald eagle would be like. We think of bald eagle and think of America. They see a cow and, and think of Egypt. Many of their goddesses were even drawn as cows because of the great resource that they were. And finally, the second dream mentioned grain, which was really a form of wealth, and it's being scorched. So imagine this dream just seeing piles of money just on fire, and Pharaoh woke up shaken. It was one of those dreams, you've had those that felt so real that when he woke up, he had to check where he was, what day is it, who is he, all those big questions, right? And notice what happens the next morning, verse 8. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. He sent and called all for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And this is where Joseph comes in, right? The cupbearer remembers Joseph, calls him in, and he is able to interpret the dream. See it. The magicians couldn't do it, but God's servant could that the magicians could come in and maybe fake something, but they were trying to fake what only the one true God could do. Don't we see the same thing happen later in the life of Moses when Moses goes against the magicians of his day regarding the staff and the snake? Friends, see the emphasis. God alone could do what the idols could only falsify. God alone could do what their idols could only falsify. And this is actually the refrain of the passage. Let's look at a few verses. Look at verse 16. Joseph said to Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then verse 28. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. See this, Joseph is here before Pharaoh and he is witnessing to the greatness and the superiority of God. Joseph has been through all of this so that he might stand before the king of Egypt and say, sorry, there is a king above you. And he is greater and more powerful, and he deserves the praise. He is showing that the kingdom of Egypt is but an anthill compared to the kingdom of God. And see, one of the things this tells us, and one of the things we need to realize, is that what drives God is his own glory and praise. One of the things that drives all God does is his own worship and glory and praise. And for some of us, that's shocking to hear. But for others of us, it's the best news in the world. Because if everything in life is all about God, then hear me, that means it's not about you. Let the weight off the shoulders. 
the universe does not revolve around you. You're not the main character in your life. God is. And you and, and if, if, if the end of time, there's a, there's a credit roll or something like that, you might get a tiny mention of best supporting actor, maybe, right, at best. Some of us, we're just people in the background of God's story, and that's okay, because we need to recognize that God may take us through the pits in order that he might get the praise. We need to realize that God might take us through the pits in order that the greatest reality in the universe, that he might get praise. And in these dreams, we see pictures of Egypt and her glory and power, and we see it being crushed. And it's displaying that Egypt and all that Egypt trusted in, their goddesses, their economy, their history, all of that is nothing compared to God. This nation was simply a drop in the bucket. And friends, this nation was dependent not on the power of Ra, the sun god, or on Isis, the fertility god, but it was dependent, whether they recognized it or not, on Yahweh, the one true God. The God that Joseph knew. Look what the prophet Isaiah would later say. Look at this. Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. And I want you to know nations here, this isn't even just ancient nations, friends. This is nations today. Russia, Iran, China, the United States of America are a drop in the bucket, are counted as the dust of the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. And friends, many of us aren't tempted probably to go to Egypt literally for our trust. But many of us are tempted to trust in a spiritual Egypt. We're tempted to be like the Israelites in the desert who wanted to go back to this superpower. They would rather have gone back to comfortable slavery in sin than to go into the unknown wilderness with God. And they would have rather been in comfortable idolatry. But this account is here to tell us that Egypt is not your hope. That there is no earthly nation that is your hope. Even the greatest minds in ancient Egypt simply couldn't solve some of the world's problems. And friends, I think America should take notes. There are going to be things, I hope you've realized this, that politicians simply can't help you with. You've got to give up trusting in, in them to fix certain problems when God alone, not a good economy or a wealth and power or even good history, can ultimately do and bring the hope that God alone can bring. And Joseph sees all of this. He understood that God was speaking through this dream and offering a prophecy of what was going to come to Egypt over the next 14 years. There was going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And there was nothing the Egyptians could do to stop it. In fact, we learned that the reason God gave two dreams back to back was to show that the dream and the thing that was going to happen was fixed by God. Look at verse 32. Look at this. The doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Friends, God, through all of this, is displaying his greatness through Joseph, because the, no, there is not a nation in this world that is truly sovereign. All of them are under the hand of another king. 
To quote Psalm chapter 2, the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain, but the king of heaven sits on his throne and laughs at the attempts of this world to dethrone him. And that should be a source of comfort for us because there's a lot of uncertainty in our world today internationally, nationally. There's lots of uncertainty. But let me remind you that the king has got this. Friends, that even the greatest, most powerful rulers are simply in the hands of a greater, more powerful ruler, the king of heaven. And God has been orchestrating all of this in the life of Joseph to bring him to this moment so that God's greatness might be seen. He wasn't about bringing attention to Joseph, but by bringing attention to himself through Joseph, God was displaying his greatness. We see second, that God, through Joseph's waiting, displayed his mercy to Egypt. God displayed his greatness over Egypt, but he was also displaying mercy to Egypt. Friends, this whole situation was going to save a wicked nation in famine. God had revealed through a dream interpreted by Joseph how to save a whole nation of people. And God was working unlikely things together for good. I want you to look at verse 28. This is actually the longest section of speech we've seen from Joseph so far. Joseph's been a pretty quiet guy up until about this point. Look what we see, verse 28. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There'll come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. See this. Joseph doesn't simply interpret the dream. He actually comes up with a plan in light of the interpretation of what God has revealed. He wasn't simply happy to know what God will do. He actually sought to act in light of what God had revealed. And friends, this was mercy. Though there would be a famine, God had given to Joseph a plan to solve the problem. And God was going to use the most unlikely means to keep Egypt safe. Taxes. He was going to, the government was going to take a fifth of everything that had happened during the famine in order to, to have something built up for whenever the famine would come. Joseph creates a sort of temporary government program, and with overseers and wise men, they put back one fifth of the produce. And the plenty produced was so great that this one fifth didn't even feel like all that much. 
And this was a wise move, regardless of whether it's something you would have done, I'm not sure, but this was a wise move, and it saved countless lives in Egypt. Look what happens in verse 54. Look at this. There was famine in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. Joseph was promoted to a sort of second-in-command over Egypt. He not only comes up with the plan, he ends up being placed in charge of Egypt's goods and leads the nation with integrity and competence. Oh, we need to pray for leaders like that in our own world, don't we? With competence and integrity. And friends, through Joseph, God was displaying breathtaking mercy to the Egyptians. We've got to remember, there was not a single follower of the one true God in Egypt minus Joseph. These weren't followers of the one true God, and yet God displayed mercy to them. God was kind to them. He spared them incredible tragedy. And let me tell you that if you are here today and alive and breathing, which all of you appear to be, God has done the same for you. God has displayed the same sort of mercy to you. And even if some of these Egyptians never experienced the saving grace of God, they still experience God's love and mercy to them. And friends, we need to see that all mercy is a message. See, the Apostle Paul would later write about the greatest possible mercy, salvation through Jesus Christ. And look what he would say. Look at this. 1 Timothy 1.16. But I receive mercy for this reason. Have you ever wondered why God might have shown you such incredible mercy? Look at this. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Consider this. God has shown mercy to you as an example of his patience to others. God has shown mercy to Paul, the apostle, and to Egypt as an example for us because God is still patient today. God is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. And friends, timing is everything. He brought Joseph to this point in order to display his greatness that Egypt was simply a drop in the bucket to display his mercy and to show incredible mercy to a whole nation of people. And finally, we see third, that through Joseph's waiting and through all of this, God displayed his faithfulness to Joseph. God displayed his faithfulness to Joseph. Look at verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, and whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in a garment of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. 
Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. See this. Joseph has gone from the jailhouse to the White House. He's been exalted from the pit to the place of primacy. The one who had, who had been given a coat of many colors has a much nicer coat now, doesn't he? Being given the coat and the signet ring, literally the king's credit card, right there on his hands. God had kept his promises to Joseph. He had promised him that he would rule, and friends, he's begun to reign. And by the end of the chapter, Joseph goes from a lonely single prisoner to a family man, married into an influential Egyptian family, and a father of two boys. And Joseph sees that this wasn't him doing this. This was from the hand of God. Look at verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name Manasseh means forgotten or forget. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful. Ephraim means fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph recognized that though he was once forgotten, God has caused his hardships to be forgotten. Joseph recognized that though he was once afflicted, God had made him fruitful. And Joseph recognized that God was keeping his promises to him and that he had never been forsaken for a moment, but he had been prepared for such a time as this. And it's incredible that all of this has been working in the background. Consider all the way back in Genesis 37. You can go look this up later. Remember that God gave to Joseph two dreams, didn't he? And in those dreams, God promised that Joseph would reign and rule not just over a nation, but over his brothers. And remember, two dreams means it is most assuredly fixed by God. All Joseph did was walk humbly with his God, and God did the rest. Joseph is a picture of the promise of 1 Peter 5, 6. Look at this. Look at this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. The proper time, timing, is everything. For Joseph, it had been 13 years, but God was going to keep his word. For you, I don't know how long it's been, but we can truly declare that through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. His grace has brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. And we can have the same confidence that Joseph had that God will keep his promises. For us who humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, God promises to exalt us at the proper time. And this exalting doesn't mean that you're probably going to rule over Egypt anytime soon. But we are promised that we will rule with Christ in the age to come. Friends, it may not mean freedom from pain in this life, but it will mean that at the end of the road, your hardships will be forgotten compared to the surpassing weight of glory. 
It may, it may not mean freedom from affliction, but it, may, but it will mean that God will take a lowly and seemingly insignificant life and make it fruitful for his glory. And we know that this is all true for us because there's another who was taken into the pit of death and exalted to the right hand of a kingdom. Friends, ultimately, the story of Joseph is all about Jesus. Friends, Jesus died on the cross and he descended into the pit of the grave to three days later be exalted to the right hand of his Father in heaven. And if we humble ourselves in repentance and faith and we follow after him in the proper time, he will display his greatness, his mercy, and his faithfulness through our life and he will exalt us. And the Bible promises that he who began a good work in you will bring it forward to the day of completion. That's what Joseph showed us. God began this good work, and he was going to keep his promises. But the question many of us need to ask ourselves is, has God begun a good work in us? Have we even taken that first step of repentance and faith, of truly committing to Jesus as our Savior and Lord, to walk with him the same, whether we're in the prison house or in the White House. Repentance and faith toward God. And if you've never done that, you can do that right where you are. You can call upon Jesus right where you are. You can come forward and pray during the service. You can talk to one of us. And you can hold fast in faith that God will keep his promises through his word. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have more reminders, don't we? Not just God's word. We've got a supper a tangible reminder, something you can actually touch and taste that reminds us that God keeps his promises. To remind us that Jesus is the true and better Joseph who who went into the prison of death but came out exalted as a king. And as we prepare to take the supper, the elements are going to be passed. We're going to have some music playing. It is some time to prepare our hearts. This is something that if you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you just know that there's something in your life that's totally out of step with where God would call you to be, just let the elements pass. Let the bread and the juice pass, and take the time to to do business with God where you are. But for those of us who are walking with Jesus, who have humbled ourselves under the mighty hand of God, this is a meal to remind us of the promise that he will exalt us. He will keep his promises to us. He has promised to be with us and to never forsake us regardless of where we go. And so I'm going to pray. And as we begin to to take the, the supper, hold on to your cup when you get it. And let's prepare our hearts together. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for the life of Joseph. We're thankful, Lord, that you exalted him from the prison house all the way to the White House of his day. Lord, and you did it, not because Joseph was great, but because you're great. And you did it to display mercy to the Egyptians to save untold numbers of wicked people who weren't even thinking about you. And Lord, you displayed your faithfulness to Joseph. And so Lord, remind us today that great is your faithfulness. That there is not a promise that you have given 
to us that you have not kept or will not keep. And Lord, as we prepare to take the supper, prepare our hearts for all that you would remind us of. And Lord, be honored and glorified in the rest of our worship together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.